Welcome back to Redirected, everybody. For those of you who are new, this is an interview series where we sit down with people who have started their career or life path on one trajectory and have gotten redirected into a completely different field than what they started off doing. And so I just want to stop and again, thank you guys for letting me take an hour up of your time. Uh, I've really enjoyed the interaction that I've gotten to have with all of you who have submitted questions. I wanted to call out a fan of the week and this week it is Jennifer McKay who has been super consistent in asking questions uh, via my Instagram. And for those of you who don't follow me already, that's where I typically get the questions and post um, the content surrounding the interviews. Um, would love to meet you guys on there, but today's guest is super, super special. It's an Olympic gymnast. I know you guys aren't surprised, but this Olympic gymnast, I actually met before my wife, Sean, Sam Pejic is an Olympian. She's an NCAA champion, and she's also a fellow Hoosier. And if you don't know what that means, listen to the show and you'll find out. But I really enjoyed this conversation of how she went from gymnastics to broadcasting. Enjoy this one, everybody. Sam, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Super excited to have you. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. I always like to start off by kind of finding common ground. And one huge thing that you and I share in common is (laughs) our passion for the Colts. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say home. I was going to like end your sentence, but I'm glad I didn't because I was going to say hometown, but you're right. The Colts. Well, I feel like the Colts are are the biggest thing that come from our hometown. And uh, Sam and I both grew up in Indianapolis, North side uh, and kind of, I wouldn't call our high schools rivals, but we definitely interacted. We probably bumped into each other at some events. And I actually knew you, (laughs) I knew Sam before I knew Sean. So that's pretty crazy. Uh, I guess dating back to 2000 and yeah, 2000, like seven, 2008 is when you and I first met. I think one of us remembers it a little more than, than the other. Uh, (laughs) It was high school. It was a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would love to hear about your upbringing. Just, you know, what your parents were like. I hear they're both pretty decent athletes themselves. Um, I'm not sure if you have siblings, but let's touch on that a little bit. Okay. Um, Yeah, my parents were both college athletes. Um, They went to the University of Illinois. My mom was a gymnast. My dad was a wrestler and a hockey player. Um, And then they moved to Indianapolis because that's where my mom was from. Had me and uh, my little sister. And they actually put us in a lot of sports. We did gymnastics, um, dance, um, soccer, uh, and, and my sister too. Um, but it got time where soccer games were conflicting with gymnastics practice. And even though I think I was only five or six at the time, I kind of had to choose. And for me being that little kid, um, in the little kid brain, I was like, well, you only get a ribbon after soccer, uh, seasons. And in gymnastics, you get ribbons and medals at every single meet. And it's like four sports in one because there's four events. So to me, it was kind of a no brainer, which sport to choose. And, uh, I think, I think it worked out for me. (laughs) What age did you ultimately choose gymnastics over soccer? I think I was six. Wow. I think I was six. Then you're doing all these sports from a young age. I'm not sure I started playing any sports till I was eight. Yeah, I, I can't say that I was really, I was a bully when I played soccer. I 
did this move? I, I come from a really aggressive parent, aggressive family. <laughs> Any, anything like that was a competition, who could get the mail first? Who could tie their shoes first? Me and my sister were always competing with each other and with my parents. Um, and so my dad was our coach. We were the pink people in soccer. And I thought I was a genius because I created this judo move where I would put my left foot on the ball and I would stand in balance and chop the other kids in the legs with my right leg Wow! and take them out. And I got so many penalties that I was spending more time in the penalty box than playing the game. So they, we all thought that an individual sport was better for me. Oh my gosh. That's a great story. This is actually, okay. So it's great (laughs) to hear that you played multiple sports because I've been so shocked in the gymnastics world at how, determined like these parents who think their their child is a prodigy and they're like mm-hmm. you're gonna do gymnastics this is all you're gonna do uh I'm curious to hear your perspective on like do you feel like you playing other sports contributed to your success in gymnastics or that's interesting I mean I did them at such a young age that it's hard to I mean I had to do ballet when I got older in gymnastics even though I, I didn't really love that um but I think because my parents were athletes, they understood the struggle and how hard it is to be great and that sort of intensity that's needed. I think my mom, she did work at USA Gymnastics when I was really, I mean, for 30 plus years, but she worked there when I was little as well. And she saw the gymnast at the highest level. And I think she was hoping that I wouldn't be very good. Um, And I started off actually being really bad at gymnastics. So I think she was like, oh, it's fine. She, she's just having fun and playing with her friends. And then I I turned a sharp corner. Um, But yeah, I think, I think knowing that it wasn't the end all be all for me, my parents were very, the only looking back, the way I remember it is the only thing they cared about was academics. If I did well in school, then that's all that mattered. Gymnastics was fun and outlet for me to hang out with my friends, um, try something new, something that I was passionate about. Um, so I feel like I took ownership of it from a young age. Well, you know, some people say your high school is the second smartest high school in Indianapolis, but, uh, <laughs> well, behind yeah. buff. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a super, why do you feel like your, your parents didn't want you to be, what was it that your mom saw in the, in the elite level gymnastics that she didn't want you to be a part of? That's a good question. And I'm not sure that I've even talked to her about it. And I think she jokingly says, I I thought that I kind of wanted you not to be good. Um, I think she wanted me, my parents did a good job of making me feel like I could do whatever I wanted to do. Um, and so I appreciated that in terms of the upbringing, but I mean, the elite world in gymnastics is, is crazy intense. You're traveling to international countries with just your coach. When you're 12 to 16 years old, you are on a pretty strict diet. You're training five plus hours a day and keeping up with school. It's just a very tough, tough childhood. Um, so I think a, a parent seeing that before your child gets there is a little bit scary of, okay, I want her to still feel like she got to experience childhood. And looking back, I do think I got the best of both worlds. And, um, I, I appreciate them for emphasizing school as much because it was kind of my outlet from gymnastics. Yeah, it is amazing. The effect that having something else that you're passionate about or super involved with can, can have on like, the other goal that you're working on. So your school, your other sports for, for the benefit of gymnastics probably played a big role. I know 
as soon as I transitioned from college sports to pro sports myself, I had a huge, huge struggle. And ultimately I think it was like anxiety attacks where I just didn't know how to do football 24 seven. Like that's all I was thinking about. I could never get my mind off it. And so I just kind of like weighed myself down with, Oh my gosh, football, football, football. And I would be stressing out about it, even the smallest things. Um, but that's a huge benefit. I think of having multiple interests, uh, even if you have one main thing you're chasing after, but uh, I'm super you. Okay. So you made the Olympic gymnastics team, which was epic. It was awesome. Um, but I think a big part of your story is your college gymnastics career. And I would love to hear your transition from like the Olympic gymnastics to the college gymnastics and what that was like for you. Yeah. So ever since, like I mentioned, my parents did college sports. So before I kind of wanted to go to the Olympics, I wanted to do college sports like my parents. And we didn't grow up um, a college sports fan because they went to University of Illinois. We lived in Indy. Um, The Indiana schools didn't really have gymnastics except Ball State. And as you know, the Colts and the Pacers are just such an important part of our lives that we didn't really need to become college sports fans. And it wasn't gymnastics in terms of NCAA was not on TV the way that it is now for these young kids. So I didn't grow up being like, oh, I really want to go to that school and do gymnastics for that school. I just knew that I wanted to do college and athletics in college at some point. And so I remember we were driving to the airport to go to the Olympics and my mom who had been to the Olympics for the 96 Olympics and worked directly with the 96 Olympic team. She knows how it goes. And she said, if your team wins, are you going to go professional or are you going to keep your amateur status? I don't, she said, I don't care what you do. It's your life, but I want you to decide now. So you don't feel peer pressured to do something that you don't want to do when your whole team is in the same boat, except you. Um, and so I remember talking to her about it and I, I couldn't really answer that question. And I think I was like, okay, I really want to do college to me. That's, that was really important. I was like, unless there's a, an offer I couldn't refuse, I'm going to keep my eligibility status. And, you know, as much as I wanted our team to win the gold medal, um, winning a silver was an even easier decision for me to keep our, our, um, to keep my amateur status. And I didn't have the best Olympics individually because I got hurt right before the competition. And so when I got back, I was actually in a pretty dark place. I don't know if you've ever heard about people talking about post-Olympic depression. I didn't know that it was called that at the time, but I'm really happy and social. And I got back from the Olympics. I was going to school during the week, flying and doing the tour on the weekend, having so much fun, but I felt so empty. I had to get surgeries. I wasn't training. I didn't really have any goals. I was kind of living this double life of being a normal student who I got, I got a detention for having my shirt untucked. And then that weekend going and having zero rules with my Olympic teammates and we feel like rock stars. So I was so conflicted of, okay, who am I? Am I this like really cool celebrity gymnast? Am I this normal kid? I didn't, I was kind of having this identity crisis of where, where did I fit in the, in the world pretty much. Um, and being a teenage girl on top of that, I'm sure doesn't help. Um, and so I decided, I was like, okay, I got to get out of this rut. I know I want to do college. Why don't I start, you know, focusing on a new goal? And I think that's what it came down to. I never had another goal in my entire life 
except the Olympics. And I'm not sure what I thought was going to happen after I went or if I did go, I was going to get a million bajillion dollars or get a free ride to heaven. But for me, it was like, okay, I got to, I got to think about the rest of my life, which I had never done ever before. And you're um, 16 so, years old when this is all happening. Yes. Yes. So I was 16 years old. So I started going on college visits and I started getting excited about, okay, I can, I can have a career. I can still do gymnastics and there's life outside of me going to the Olympics, even though I already did that. Um, and so going to college for me was a little bit of a transition out of that place and out of that elite gymnastics space where I'm sure you have heard and I'm sure other people have talked about athletes at the highest level. I know Michael Phelps just came out saying that you, you kind of go, you're on such a high when you train and you get to these meets that when, you, when it's all over, you're kind of a little bit in that, in this lost place. Right. Yeah, actually. So my brother, I, I might, may or may not have told you about him, but he started a whole organization. He was a elite level cyclist. And uh, once he finished his career, he was left in this spot that a lot of, you know, whether it's college uh, athletes or professional athletes transitioning out, he realized, look, I've spent my entire life doing this one thing that I got super good at, but I've been underdeveloped in other areas of my life. And so there's this, I mean, I think it takes probably at least three years to transition out of that. It's taken me, uh, I mean, you, you know, a little bit about my football career. And so I feel like I'm super fortunate that I actually haven't landed on a team because it's forced me to think about life beyond football. You know what I'm saying? Which again, it takes maybe three years to figure out, okay, once I'm done with my sport, what do I do now? Um, so yeah, he's, he started an organization that essentially helps athletes find their identity uh, because there is a little bit of an identity crisis that, that happens. So that's something that definitely I'm, I'm passionate about and want to help people who struggle with that in any way I can. Um, you mentioned yeah. that the one goal you had was the Olympics. I'm curious at what point uh, in your progression with gymnastics that became your goal. You said you kind of started off rough. I've, I've listened to your previous interviews and um, I remember you saying like you were six years old and you couldn't do a, a cartwheel or a standing, whatever it was. Uh, <laughs> at what point did you really hit the ground running and realize that the Olympics was a, was a actual possibility? Um, well, I watched the 96 Olympics on TV when I was five and I was still, I would say casually doing gymnastics at this point and they made it look so fun and so easy. And so after I watched the Olympics, I told everybody, my parents, my teachers, my coaches, I'm going to go to the Olympics one day. And I was this cocky little sassy kid, did not have a problem talking to strangers. Anyone that would listen to me, I told them that I was going to be in the Olympics one day. And my mom said she would have to apologize for me because I was just so bold with it. Um, and then I actually started, you know, doing gymnastics for real and competing and realizing I was the worst one in the group. I had a lot of fears. I wasn't very disciplined. I was just this chatty little kid. Um, and so I think that dream, whether it doled or whether I think it was always in the back of my mind, but it was definitely not on the forefront anymore. Um, until I started doing tops and realized, okay, I can be the strong gymnast. Um, I can, I can find a, find my niche in this sport. Um, and I went to the tops national team training center when I was 10 for the first time. And I was with the other best 10 year olds in the, in the country. And in my head, again, I feel like 
a little kid brain, A plus B equals C, right? And so the A was that I was training at this national team training center. The B is other Olympians trained at this. So if they went to the Olympics and they trained here, then I could go to the Olympics because I'm training here too. And so that was kind of when I reintroduced that goal more to the forefront of my brain. Being vocal with your goals, that's a super interesting thing. I, I wonder if you're still like that. Are you still super no. vocal with your goals? No. I would challenge you a little bit because your passion for your broadcasting, which we'll get into a little bit later, uh, honestly, your your excitement about it, your passion for it is contagious. And you were signed up to do just one sideline game and the amount of research that you did for that and the amount of people that you contacted to help you with that uh, honestly was inspiring to me on a personal level. Mm -hmm. But um, I wonder what you think your biggest strength was as a gymnast. Cause you said you weren't maybe super disciplined. I wonder if that changed um, or what do you view as, Hey, this is really what enabled me to, to reach the level I did. This might be a little backwards of an answer, but by far my biggest asset as a gymnast was my mind. Hmm. Um, I was a gamer. I could, anytime I was in competition, the more people that watched me, the more pressure I had, the better I did ever since I've been little. Um, and because I had so many terrible fears at a young age, a round of back handspring is very, a very elementary skill um, for, you know, six, seven year old. And I couldn't do it for a year and a half. So I had to repeat levels. My friends were levels ahead of me. And so I had to figure out how to trick my mind at a young age to get myself to, to accomplish my goals and to do, have my body do what I'm asking it to do, even though I was afraid. So, um, and I think that really helped me the older that I got and especially at the elite level in college when there is so much pressure and there's so much intensity to figure out how to kind of stabilize your mind and compete like you're practicing. And so I would definitely say my, my biggest asset and the reason why um, I got to where I did in the sport was because of my mind. But you mentioned, and I've heard you in other interviews say that you almost quit the sport because of the difficulty you, you were having on beam. Was it that roundoff back handspring that was really preventing you? Tell me about that, it, that period of time. Yeah, so... I, after I got over my round of back handspring fear on floor, I was like, oh, I'm in the clear. I'm, that was my one thing that I was afraid of in the sport. Then I got a little bit better, and, and you have to do these things called series on beam. And it's a back handspring connected to another back handspring on beam. And it's really scary. You're on four inches. It was weird to me that everyone thought it was weird. I was scared <laughs> because you're flipping on a four inch beam. And for me, I just, I think I was afraid of my power looking back a little bit, um, but I didn't understand how you were supposed to land on the beam and do these flips on beam. It just did not make sense for me. Um, and so there was this one practice where I, I let my team down. I couldn't do it. Um, and I just told everybody I'm done. I I'm just not cut out for this. And so I went to the locker room and a teammate followed me. And then 30 seconds later, I unquit. So <laughs> I unquit. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. You mentioned that the more pressure, the more people that are watching, the better you would perform. And that's something that I've heard a couple people say, but does that mean that you don't feel the anxiety or does, like you mentioned, you're a gamer. Is, is there an absence of anxiety or is it just like you feel the anxiety still like probably everybody else does, 
but you just step up to the plate and handle it well, like channel it? It's a good question. I think, and I, people have asked me this a lot too. Um, and the best way that I can explain it is people perceive emotions in different ways. So how some people view or feel anxiety, other people like, like me, I feel anxiety as adrenaline. So it's kind of that positive form of anxiety of, yeah, I'm, I know people are watching me and I have the same feelings on the inside, but I'm channeling it as this positive energy that can help me. I mean, when I was little, I used to compete. During my beam routine, I would, the only thing I would say to myself was, everybody's, everybody's watching you. Everybody is watching you. Don't mess up. Everybody's watching you. <laughs> and as I got older, I had to change that a little bit because it wasn't as bulletproof as it used to be when I was a little, little kid, but it was things like that, that I just, I thrived off of. Did you ever work with a sports psychologist or read any like mind gym books? I think I read mind. I didn't read mind gym at one point in time. And when I was really young, probably like six or seven, and I had fears of specific skills, I worked with a, a sports psych lady but other than that, I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy that the national team doesn't offer that for all of us when you're so young competing at the highest stage. I think if you talk to any athlete, um, they're probably working with someone, but maybe because we're so young, we're a little bit naive to that competition and that sort of pressure. I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, one thing I've, I've heard you talk about as well in the past is the difficulty you had transitioning from uh, the Olympics to college. And it was difficult for two reasons I've heard one, because you were disappointed in the level of gymnastics that you're performing, but also you're a very social person. So I wonder, like, I feel like from my outsider's view, the elite level gymnastics is way less social than college. Um, can you talk to me about like those difficulties or how you cope through that you know, process of transitioning? Yeah. So in high school, I went to a regular high school and um, you're right. The elite level is, is way less social. You are training a lot more hours. I was going to Texas, the national team training center once a month. Um, and I remember this, this one camp was over prom and I was crying. I was so upset that I had to go to camp because I didn't want to miss prom. It was, it was terrible enough that I had to miss football games sometimes, but I did not want to miss prom. And so when I got to the ranch, the girls on the national team made me a prom dress in toilet paper. And one of the girls did my hair and one of them did my makeup. And I was the only one that got dressed up. And so to me, that meant so much to me that these girls who I don't live in the same state with, I don't go to high school with them, technically were were competitors, but we became like sisters and it's moments like that. That means so much to me that they went out of their way to make me feel like I'm having that social experience that I really had, was missing. And so when I got to college and we are training less hours and you're doing, you're going to school with the girls that you're training with and you're training with more than just yourself, um, a big team. It was so much fun that I didn't want to miss out on anything. So of course, if you're spending more time doing social activities, there's less time to, you know, be focused on your gymnastics or be focused on school. So there was definitely a little bit of a learning curve in terms of, of that balanced lifestyle after my freshman year. 
you had incredible success while you were at UCLA. Um, won the NCAA 2000, you were the 2015 all around champion. Is that right? For NCAA? Yep. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and that's just added to the list of your already legendary gymnastics success. What is the award that you've won that you're most proud of? Of all of them, what are you most proud of? Hmm. Can I can I say two? Can I say three? Sure, sure. I w- I expect stories though. Okay, so <laughs> the first one that comes to mind is not really an award, but kind of just a pat on the back of something that I'm really proud of. Um, that I did gymnastics for 21 years, and I got to experience the sport at every single level that the sport offers you. So um, obviously elite is very different than college and it's very different than JO and the tops program. Um, and so just looking back and having those experiences, I'm, I'm really proud and, and fortunate that not a lot of people can say that. So um, I really appreciate that I stuck with the sport for as long as I did. And I like the fact that I loved it as much, even the very last day of competition after 21 years, I loved doing gymnastics. So I think that's really cool. Um, and then in terms of awards and stuff, I got the only perfect 10 I got in college was on bars. And it's kind of ironic because bars was my least favorite event and my worst event historically throughout my whole career. So the fact that the only time I ever received a perfect score, it was on this event that I had to spend twice as much time as everybody else. And as my, more than my other events on this sport, um, it was it was a really cool moment for me to get that 10 kind of that all the hard work is paying off. Um, and then the one that really stands out to me the most is my very last beam routine ever in my whole life, um, at the NCAA championships. And I knew before I mounted the beam, this was the last time I was competing ever win or lose. I could fall three times. It was, I was done. It was the ultimate. It was the time that I felt the most pressure in my entire life in a bad way. It was strange. Before I saluted, I got this pit in my stomach. I was, it wasn't adrenaline. It was anxiety, I'm sure. <laughs> it, was, it was nervous because I knew it was my last time ever. I wanted to stay on the beam for as long as possible, but I wanted to win. I wanted to make it. Um, I was throwing a pretty difficult skill that I didn't have to do. So I added that risk in there. And um, I probably fell on like nine in warm up and made two. So it was super risky for me to do it on my very last competition ever. I knew my coaches were nervous for me. Anyway, I make that skill and I, I ended up making that beam routine. And the whole time I think I blacked out because I was smiling and I was just enjoying the moment and really appreciating my whole gymnastics career in one beam routine, which is a lot of pressure to think about. Um, and so not only did I just make the best routine of my life, but I also won the very last thing on an event that I felt so strongly about my whole career. So, um, that was, that was definitely the cherry on top of a good way to finish my gymnastics career. Uh, That's awesome. Uh, I love what you said, how you changed my question from awards to just general life experience. Cause that is, uh, so cool how you have gotten experience every level of gymnastics and, it's positioned you well for what you kind of do now, which is you coach to a certain degree. You do your beam queen boot camp, and how many of those do you do a year now? It's growing. 
awesome. Yeah. Our, our very first one we did was last year. So it's still a work in progress of how many we're doing. We did four last year. We've already doubled that. We've done eight so far this year in the summer and we're doing three more locations in the fall and the winter. Oh my gosh. So yeah, it's, it's busy, lots of traveling still, but I, I like it more than I thought I was even going to like it. That's so cool. <laughs> You have a lot of other things that you're working on as well. Uh, you have your own podcast. For those of you who don't know, it's called I Have Cool Friends. And she sits <laughs> down with some pretty cool friends and interviews them. Um, can you talk us through why you wanted to start a podcast and how the experience has been, what you've learned through it? Podcasting, for me, I wasn't super involved and someone recommended you like to talk and do the sit down interviews and, and have those one-on-one -on -one moments. And I like being on podcasts just as much as I like hosting my own podcast. Um, so again, thank you for having me on the show. Yeah. But uh, I felt like, especially in the gymnastics world, there are so many resources and there's so many knowledgeable people and experts that the general population of the gymnastics world were not getting. I was traveling to these Beam Queen boot camps and people were asking me the same questions and wanting to know the same advice and wanting, I'm like, you know what? Instead of this being some secret recipe of to success, why don't I start a podcast and I'll bring all this inspiration together and I can inspire not just the gymnasts, but the coaches and the, and the gym parents that kind of feel left in the dark sometimes. Um, so the whole main purpose of it was inspiration. And it's funny because everyone hated the name that I came up with. Um, <laughs> And so I'm like, oh, you're right. It's kind of cheesy. It's a little stupid. And then I woke up one morning. I'm like, no, I, I always say that I have, I think that I have the cool, I think it's the coolest thing about me is that I have the coolest friends. So it has to be called I Have Cool Friends. Um, and so I, I stuck to my guns and now I think people are warming up to it. That's great. The name <laughs> for me was the most agonizing thing of this whole process. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, it's so overwhelming. It's, it's the smallest thing ever, it seems, but it also affects everything that you associate with it. So yeah. yeah and I wanted something that I can one day move to other sports or something that wasn't gymnastics related that, you know, each season can be a different theme and it would still make sense because they're still my friends, but in different areas of my life. So I saw you're not a newbie. You're not a rookie to interviewing. You've been doing, or while you were at UCLA, you did the Bruin banter. Is that right? Yeah. How'd you, get, how'd you get looped in with that? So I actually created it the year that I tore my Achilles. Um, it forced me to think about my future after gymnastics and I knew I wanted to do sports broadcasting. So I'm like, how can I not be bored when I'm in the gym or at meets and kind of bring something to the table? Like how can I be involved? And so I asked if I could start my own show and we did a, uh, what's it called when you 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 guys have done this before where you tweet and you get suggestions for names and like everybody is giving you stuff or polls yeah or, yeah yeah like polls and people were tweeting us um all of these names and Bruin banter we that we felt like that was the best one and so I would interview the girls after meets and it was kind of my first intro of being on camera and interviewing and looking back, it's a little bit embarrassing. Um, but it's also cool to see how far I've come. <laughs> so that's the positive there. Yeah. Um, but it is cool that even after I graduated, they pass it down now. So every year there is a new host of Bruin banter oh, of this great. kind of legacy that I started, um, which is really cool. I like that a lot. I think that's, those are 
words of wisdom for anybody out there, no matter if you're trying to do podcast interviews or be, you know, some social, like make YouTube videos, whatever you're trying to do, uh, practice, honestly, for anything in life can get you so much progress. And I remember my first video that I did with Sean, it was like an interview series. And I was just sitting there. I was super timid. I had no idea. Like you just kind of, you don't know how to, how much of your personality to reveal or what that even looks like on camera. But now it's like, you know, she can't get me to shut up and <laughs> chit chatting uh, my head off. But uh, you're also doing broadcasting now for the Pac-12. And I want to know your experience with that. Has, has that been awesome for you? It was cool. When, again, when I graduated, I knew I was either going to pursue, I feel like my life is so black and white. I was going to do this or the whole 180. So I actually had an interview at Deloitte um, to what? be in consulting. <laughs> oh man, I did not know. Um, and so I really wanted to, I, I was really conflicted. Do I want to do the serious business route um, and do the corporate thing? Or do I want to do my own thing for a little bit and give myself a couple years to pursue broadcasting. So I figured if I do the broadcasting thing, I can always go back to corporate. Um, but you can't really go from corporate, that stable lifestyle to it's harder to go the other way. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to give my cu- myself a couple years and really go for it and see what happens. And, um, and if I hate it, okay, great. I'll, I'll go to business school and I'll, I'll do the business track. Um, and so I freaked out the week of my interview because like, I don't, I, I can't invest, do the nine to five thing in the corporate. I just, I needed, I needed a time to relax and pursue my broadcasting dreams. So I flew to San Francisco and asked to take a meeting with the talent coordinator. And I came, came with like a list of all these things of how to, what I could bring to the table and how I could be an asset. And, um, I think middle of the, of through my pitch, she stopped me. and was like, okay, yeah, you're, you're hired What? as a gymnastics analyst. I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm not done. Do you want me to, she's like, I, I mean, okay, we'll give you a shot. Um, <laughs> she's oh. like, you're qualified. You're a calm major. You started brewing banter. Um, great. You, basically we'll, we'll give you this opportunity. And so I left that meeting feeling like a million bucks, um, and really was nervous for, for broadcast season. It's one of those industries where, you know, to be a lawyer, you, you go to law school and you pass the bar. Right. But to, to be in this broadcast industry, it's such a sink or swim moment. You can't really practice unless you're on camera so, um, it's really tough to, to swim, I would say, but yeah, so I done, I did that for two years. I went to Rio, uh, with NBC to do digital stuff. And then this year was the first year that I've done sideline for football. So I'm slowly, but surely, um, moving sports and roles. And I just want to get as much experience as possible. Where did you get the courage to just fly up to San Francisco and meet with this person? My UCLA head coach, Miss Val, um, was instrumental in just me as a person in, in terms of those years in college. I remember her saying in college, the worst anyone can say is no. Mm. The worst anyone can say is no. As long as you ask um, in, a, in a, an appropriate, good-intentioned, honest way for something, the worst anyone can say ever is no or not respond you have nothing to lose. And so, um, I thought that that was weird to fly up there, 
Um, but she goes, just, just make it seem like you're already in the area. <laughs> Even though I was, I was paying on my own dime to fly up there and, you know, struggling college kid. I'm like, Oh, I'm paying for a flight. Um, and paying for a rental car and a hotel. I was, I was a little bit like, you want me to pay for that? Um, and so luckily it all ended up working out, but that was a tough for me too, to realize sometimes you do have to take those risks. I didn't know I was going to get the job when I was spending 500 bucks plus to fly up there. Um, but I think it was a good life lesson of, okay, be bold. And the worst she could have said was, we don't have space for you, but I'll keep you in mind for the future. So, um, yeah, I'm lucky. I'm lucky that it worked out. And now I'm just a nag that wants to hustle and I'm hungry to just get more experience. So I'm sure they're like, Oh, Sam's emailing us again. (laughs) I love that. I love that initiative. Uh, last time I talked to you, we were at the, we were in Boston for the, what was it? The championship USAG championships. Um, and you were super nervous for your football sideline job. How did it go? Can you give me a debrief? It was good. I remember uh, having a little bit of a freak out before I left. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do sideline. I'm not cut out for this. Um, Really, I I had the worst negative self-talk. I'm like, I'm not tall enough. I'm not pretty enough. I don't know enough about football. I'm not an expert. I didn't play football. I just had the worst negative self-talk. So the day of the game, I woke up and I'm like, listen, I can either... Can I cuss on here? Yeah. I can either shit my pants or I can pretend like I'm confident and own it and just pretend like I've been doing this for years. I'm like, I got two options. So I decided the latter, thank God. Um, So I got there and I was just confident the whole time meeting people. I'm going to do what I think sideline reporters do. Um, and, And it went really well. I Middle of the game, I remember at halftime, I nailed this hit and I remember thinking, this is awesome. I know everything. I'm a football expert. Maybe one day I can, I can be the analyst for football. I know everything. Like it was completely the opposite. So, um, yeah, I was kind of making fun of myself internally after the game because I was so nervous, um, where it was not helpful. Sometimes when I get nervous, it's helpful but it was, it was not helpful. Um, and it ended up going really well and I got a lot of positive feedback. So I'm actually excited to do my next one. That's so awesome. Uh, that's so great. And I, I'm not going to be surprised if next year you're going to be like a, you know, a staple in the PAC 12 uh, oh. sideline job, but thank you. Uh, I feel like that's- people, people don't talk about that though, in terms of trying something new for the first time of, you know, people sugarcoat it and they say, oh yeah, like I did it. It was fun. It was easy. But I feel like I also want to try and be real with people of, no, I've competed at the highest level and there's way less eyeballs on me as a sideline reporter at this one game than at the Olympic games or something like that. And I was three times as nervous. (laughs) So it's okay to, to have that. And especially if you're trying something new. A hundred percent. And one thing that I think might not even be like a second thought for you is the fact that you didn't back out of it. You showed up and, you know, people say showing up is 90% of the battle. And I think there's a little bit of truth to that because so often we do talk ourselves out of, you know, walking into a new situation or we say, you know what, well, I already reached the, the peak of, of all TV and that's being an Olympic gymnast. And like, why would I even do this? Uh, if it's not going to even like compare numbers to that, but you like, fought through the fear or you fought through the self-consciousness or like that 
I, some type of, of pride and you showed up and, and now it's like, you know, kind of making your dream come true, which is super, super cool. Yeah. Um, and again, inspiration, but I want to know now what a day in the life of Sam Pejic looks like. You got so many things going on. Oh gosh. That's, there isn't even a day. I, that's going to be my goal for 2019 is to have some sort of a day in the life where like <laughs> I repeat one day twice in a year. Right. Um, I need to get a little bit more of a schedule going at least when I'm in town, which I haven't done very, a very good job of that because I've, I'm here for two days and you know, traveling so much, it's tough to go to the grocery store. It's tough to, and then when you are in town, you want to go grab dinner with your friend you haven't seen in a while or go get a meeting or work out. Um, and so I do try and work out once a day. Um, yesterday was tough and I almost, I almost backed out going to be honest. <laughs> and, and I'm not very good at the little workouts. I need to be better at that. Like instead of, I like doing the four or five miles or an hour workout class. Like to me, I'm like, Oh, running two miles is stupid, but it's not stupid. Yesterday right. I ran three miles and it was great. I'm so happy that I did the little workout as opposed to just skipping it all together. Um, so I try and work out. I do, I do emails. I do, um, any sort of administrative stuff for our beam queen moot boot camp and really planning for future events. So we have three coming up, um, planning staff travel and doing social media. And every day I kind of wake up and have a game plan of, okay, these are the things that I are timely that I have to get done today. You know, if I get this done, I'm going to give myself a gold star. If not, I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah. It's such a solid point you make about working out. And again, this translates to, I think a lot of different things, but you know, I played college football and I had a coach that we would be in the weight room for two hours and just absolutely get, you walking out every single day and you physically feel the soreness of like, I got better today. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so now when I go to the gym, for sure, I still have to fight off those kind of demons of like, Hey, I could, I could go to the gym and like work a little bit or uh, I could sit here on my couch because I don't feel like putting on this like entire, you know, huge workout. that's just going to crush me. It's hard to find that motivation. So yeah. it's super important to just like, you know, chip away no matter what it is, just chip away day by day. Even if you're not taking a huge stride, just taking one step closer is, is super, super important. Um, but a couple questions before we get to some fan questions. Okay. Um, I want to know we're both Hoosiers for those of you who don't know what Hoosier is. It's, someone born and raised in Indiana. Do you ever <laughs> see yourself moving back to Indiana? You, you've lived in LA That's now for years and it's exciting out there. Do you ever see Indiana in the future? That's tough because I loved my upbringing. I loved my high school. I love, I'm still best friends with all of my day one friends that I, w- I met at the gym when I was six years old and they still all live there. So I love going back to visit, um, I don't know. I really like the West Coast weather now. Um, yeah. In terms of my career, the the broadcast and the little the it, the Midwest is more um, standard careers. I would I would say it's not as entrepreneurial and it's not as um, broadcasty sports unless you're working for the Colts right. or the Pacers. And so, in terms of what I'm doing right now, it makes more sense for me to be in a city. And for the amount that I travel, just LAX is easy to get everywhere. Um, so I don't know, well, but it would, know. I would like to, <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. Part of me, if, 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 I don't know, Yeah, maybe. 
Um, but right now, no. <laughs> so on the note of stable jobs, yeah. you obviously have gotten a lot of traction with your broadcasting. You have your podcast and you're doing very, very well. But you mentioned there's this instability that you still have. And I feel like anybody chasing after their goal in the entrepreneur sense has that instability, which part like that's part of why you love doing what you do is because it's like every day you can wake up and it's either going to be feast or famine almost where you could make a huge stride towards towards what you're trying to accomplish or maybe zero stride. But do you ever look back on that decision of not taking that Deloitte interview, which Deloitte is probably the best job, best corporate job you could get out of college, <laughs> I would argue. Um, do you ever regret not going that sense? Is it, or not going that direction? Not really. Um, I like the excitement of my destiny is in my own hands. Um, and, and it's a high price to pay in the sense of, I think that I work way more hours than I probably would work at a normal job. I wake, I work more weekends than I don't work weekends. Um, and that's just, you know, there's pros and cons in every decision you make. Right. And so, um, yeah, you work weekends sometimes when you have a, a, a quote unquote normal job, but in terms of the events that I'm running and the games that I'm working, it's the opposite. So I'm still trying to find that work-life balance. Mm. Um, but no, I, I don't regret it. I love the fact that I can have a Wednesday be my Sunday and get all my errands done or rearrange my day if, if I need to. Um, and so that to me is definitely a con of what I do. Um, I, I hate when people assume that I live, uh, I actually just Instagram this before our podcast of, um, my parents and other people at home think that I live this vacation life because I think I do a good job on Instagram, making it seem like I'm always on vacation or having fun or, and I'm sure you kind of get that at some, in some regard as well. Um, where I'm like, Oh no, I just, I'm really good at making it seem like I never work <laughs> when really I am slaving away every single day. So um, kind of getting through that stigma of being a young entrepreneur too, um, of battling, okay, did I give myself enough hours? Can I, do I need to work more today? Can I save it for tomorrow? And my mom said something to me one time, you live 10 blocks from, me, from the beach. You're telling me that you never during the week just take a couple hours and go lay on the beach? I'm like, it's a school day. Of course not. <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm like, my boss would not allow it. <laughs> right. And so I, I hope that with time and after I set the foundation that I will be able to relax in that sense and, and really take advantage of the flexible schedule. But right now it's kind of the opposite. Right. I do have to ask this because social media is a big portion of what you and I both do. Uh, what is your perspective? Do you, is it a love hate or how do you, approach social media? I love social media and I know that there's haters that can say and do what they, what they want, but I love social media. I am a big relationships person. Um, I started traveling when I was 12 years old. So the FaceTime and the Skype before social media was a thing was really big for me to stay connected to my friends at home. And so social media is the best way to stay connected to all of my friends and just see what they're up to or what cities they're into. And yeah, 
maybe it's like a fabricated version of what's going on. But, you know, with Instagram stories, I feel like I can keep up with my friends' lives so much easier than I ever could. And so for the people, for the haters, like you're, you're just, you're using it the wrong way. (laughs) I 100% agree. You're putting too much pressure or putting too much power in the hands of social media. It doesn't have to be that way. If it bothers you that much, don't, don't look at it. (laughs) Right. To me, I'm like, I think, I think a big, especially with girls seeing Instagram models is, I think is the one stigma that I would probably agree with. It's hard when you're going through your feed to see these beautiful girls and you're like, huh, I don't look like that, but you never know how many apps they use to look like that. And (laughs) you you know what I mean? Like they have probably teams, they probably had some search, I don't know, whatever, whatever they needed to do to, to post that really good looking picture of themselves. It's fine. If that's their business and that's what they want other people to perceive of them, it's, it's in control of them. I control what I put out and what people think of me. And so other people are doing the same. And I feel like it just needs to be a little bit more of a judgment-free zone. <laughs> no, I, I agree. And I've, Sean and I have had the opportunity now to share like several pieces of like vulnerable parts of our lives that essentially have had impacts, I think, on a lot of other people's lives. And so that's been, I used to hate social, like five years ago, I didn't have a Facebook, didn't have a Twitter, none of this. Uh, but now I'm <laughs> like, dude, this is such a, it's such an amazing tool not only to keep up with your friends, but also I truly believe, and maybe this is like the romantic in me that like everybody has a message that can ultimately touch somebody else. And like social media is the best way to connect with those other people and share that message. So that's my take on it. Maybe I'm, maybe yeah. I'm, you know, seeing sunshine and rainbows, but. Uh, no. And it, and also matters who you follow too. If you're following you know, a lot of dirty or disrespectful memes or things that are flooding your feed, with a negative message, you're probably going to have a different view as if I feel like I follow some accounts that have really inspirational quotes where I look through it. I'm like, huh, I really needed to see that today. Or I'll message them. Thanks. Thanks for the reminder. And then it's kind of building that community of, you know, that good positive message that you want to feel throughout the day. hundred percent. And like any good thing, you can abuse it though. So, uh, are you ready for some fan questions? Yes. All right. So these are coming at you live. Uh, some of them are really hard hitters. I got to give it to my audience. There's a good batch of like super deep questions. Okay. Super light ones. Um, All right. I'm ready. Up here. <laughs> so the first one is from Stoked Ember. He wants to know, is Andrew a good interviewer? Now, okay. This is actually, you don't have to answer that question directly, but <laughs> one thing I have learned in doing my, my interviews on this podcast is mm-hmm. that I was super confident that I would be a good interviewer because conversationally, like pretty much I can keep the conversation flowing and it seems natural always. It's different than interviewing though. It's <laughs> it a hard lesson I've learned. Have you learned, have wh- like, how are you learning how to interview or, or what tips and tricks do you have for me? You mean for the podcast? Yes. Well, just interviewing in general, cause you do it on so many different levels. Um, podcasting is definitely different than other interviews. Uh, to me, I feel like it's easier because you can kind of go off the cuff and it's not a hard time and you can touch different topics depending on what your interviewee is, which direction they're going. Um, my biggest advice, which you're already doing is to prepare. I can see that you had outlined some questions or some background info, um, that you can lean on. I feel like that's what I do. And I wouldn't say that I am the world's best podcast interviewer by, by any means. Um, but that's definitely helped me if I'm getting stuck or you're changing topics. 
um, to just have some outlines of topics that you want to hit during the interview, which you, you already do. Okay. Wise tips. We'll go to another, another question here. Uh, Bo Jordan 23 wants to know if you like Michael Jordan and why Michael Jordan. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, who doesn't, my, I'm sorry. The, the hesitation wasn't who's Michael Jordan. The hesitation was who doesn't like Michael Jordan and why but LeBron <laughs> so that's or Michael my Jordan, response. Which, which would you take? Who would you LeBron pick or Michael Jordan? Yes. Uh, Michael Jordan. Wow. But, but really? growing up, I was the biggest Reggie Miller fan because he actually grew up on the lake that I grew up on. And so I would see him partying on the weekends when I was like eight or however, I, I, however old I was. I was a little kid um, when he was living in Indy. So, yeah. Nice. Okay. Nothing to do with Michael Jordan, but I just <laughs> no. wanted to tell you that. I, I, I didn't know Reggie Miller partied on the weekend, so it's good to know. <laughs> yeah, he definitely did. Uh, Bahars... B.H. Harsdell wants to know what your least favorite gymnastics event was. Bars. 100%. Even though it's perfect 10. Yeah, that's, and that's why it's really ironic because it was always so hard for me. When you're a really strong gymnast, it's harder to get that flow and that um, sort of swing on the bars. Hmm. So it was, it didn't come naturally to me. Um. Okay, Phil Dudock wants to know how, what type of workouts do you do? Yeah, what type of training? So I'm still actually trying to lose muscle from my gymnastics career, um, more so to see if I can do it um, and to, to gain that flex, to gain more flexibility. I feel like I've gotten more flexible since I stopped gymnastics, since I'm losing muscle. So um, I like to do a mix of cardio, hot yoga, and Pilates. So today I'm going to go to Pilates. Do you do your own programming or is there somebody that you look to to do that for you? I like, I like going to classes because sometimes I don't have time to put it together or I like, I need that extra motivation or push, but, um, yeah, more so than not, I, I put together my own program. So if I go out for a run, um, when I say I'm going for a run, it means like I'm going to run a mile and then I'll do an ab circuit and then I'm going to run a mile and do a leg circuit. So it's kind of, I kind of like put my own workout together, um, while I'm working out. That's great. I'll tell you this. Sean and I have done Pilates now twice and I am, everybody says it works to your small core muscles. And I took that for granted for sure. It's amazing how much Pilates targets those like little stabilizing muscles. And I've been so sore. I had to take like a, uh, you know, a two month break. And after the first five <laughs> minutes, I was just at failure because of it. So I'm trying to do it's Pilates more because it's yeah it's such an irritating workout I call my mom complaining that I'm not sweating during it um but then I'm always super sore after so I know it's helping me and it's kind of giving me that length that I feel like I need so I go even though I think it's definitely by far my least favorite workout hot yoga hot bar running berry any of that I'm I'm in but it's definitely my least favorite all right. Um, Natacorn wants to know when did you meet Andrew and how? So let's just, you know, kind of give the brief overview or maybe, maybe we could each tell our own story because you, <laughs> you go ahead. I'll let you answer this first. The, the story, the version you I, I don't know. I did not come up with this question, by the way. Uh, okay. When do you first so, remember Well, I think that's a different question than when did I first meet you? <laughs> okay, when do I first go. remember meeting you is different. <laughs> I'll tell that story. So, okay, you're going to tell the story? <laughs> yes. Well, no, after, after you tell you what you remember, I want to I hear 
when you think we first met? Okay. I remember reconnecting with Sean. Um, it was weird because when I went to college and Bridget went to college and Nasi was doing her own thing, Sean was, I feel like we all kind of took a break from each other more so because that's the direction our lives were. We were just doing completely different things at this point. Um, Sean and I reconnected at the X games and I remember talking about guys and she was like, Oh, I'm actually, I'm actually kind of seeing this guy. He's from Indiana. <laughs> and I remember being like, Oh, what school, how old? And, um, yeah. And so she's like, he's a really nice guy and gave me a background. So that's kind of my first, um, she was like, it's really, it's really new. And I don't know. I just, you know, I, I basically was like, I have a crush on this guy. And so that was my first time. Well, like I said at the beginning of the show, you, like clearly our first encounter meant more to one of us than the other. But uh, we first met junior year of, of high school at a dance. And that's, you know, something that I remember that Sam doesn't. And maybe it's better that way. But uh, on to the next question. Um, Annie's Netflix wants to know, what is one thing you'd like to eat but can't because of, of your – you know, goals with your training? Mm. <laughs> I feel like I should have an answer to that question, but because I lived such a disciplined life um, growing up, I try and, and let myself eat whatever I want in terms of balance. I mean, there's some days or weeks that I wake up and I'm like, huh, I'm really going to, you know, tighten it up this week and, and eat a little bit healthier. Um, like I woke up this morning, I'm like, I think I could I think I'm, I'm feeling a cold come, coming on. Like I'm going to eat some more greens today and maybe get, get a juice. Um, but for the most part, um, I'm kind of like a win in Rome kind of gal. So when I'm traveling, I'm going to Europe tomorrow. So I'll definitely be enjoying lots of croissants and wine and <laughs> pizza and just anything. I'm, I'm very much a, I want to experience the foods and the places that these really cool places, um, have. Um, and so I don't think that I put myself on a, a strict constant diet. It's kind of like a, okay, if I have short-term goals, like let's tighten it up a little bit. But other than that, I'm, I kind of. Yeah. I'm, I, uh, I think I'm disciplined like 95% of the time, but I definitely adhere to like the rocks cheat day method where I'm just crushing pizza. I don't know. I have a sweet tooth too, which really gets to me like Snickers, chocolate, anything chocolate I'm done. Yeah. Uh, all right. So now it's time for closing questions. And, um, one question I always like to ask because I feel like it's important and the people who have surrounded me, I feel like are the majority of the reasons that I've been able to achieve what I've achieved or reach the point in life that, that I have uh, gotten to. And so I want to hear who do you view as like the essential members of your team that have helped you get to where you are now, the Sam Pezik we know today. Hmm. Um, definitely my parent, my family, my parents and my sister, um, and just my friends. I, I don't know if it's because I started traveling at a young age that I've, I've always leaned on friends, um, so much. And, and those sort of relationships mean so much to me and I wouldn't be where I am without, without them. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, my college coach, Miss Val, um, and my Olympic coach, Peter Zhao, um, I arguably spent more time with him than I did with my parents growing up. And he was this Chinese man 
that everyone thought never got upset, but he got more upset than people <laughs> thought. Um, but his number one most important message was respect. The only time he got really upset was if I wasn't respecting myself, the equipment, or other people. And so I think that's that's really important to teach young kids. And I'm very thankful for that message and, and just instilling me in so many morals and in terms of work ethic and passion. And did I see Miss Vows retiring after this season? Yep. Um, man, yeah. I've had the I've had the pleasure of meeting her a couple times. She just seems like such an amazing coach. I would I would love to play for. Her. She, yeah, <laughs> you'd love to play. You mean compete yeah. for? Her. <laughs> yeah. Well, even if she coached football, I'd be super. Okay, down. okay. I'll I'll have to let her know that. Um, yeah. We we got in one fight. We probably got in more than one fight, but I remember one towards the end of my career. Um, she wanted me to go to this networking thing with donors. She's like, oh, it's good if you mingle and you meet these people. And I was really frustrated. I'm like, how could you ask me to do that? It's during practice. I'm a leader of this team. I, I can't miss. And we got into like an argument about, she's like, no, you have to go. You do not need to be in the gym. You don't need to learn any more gymnastics. You need to be out there networking. So in terms of what she does for student athletes um, and helping them get their career set up for life after gymnastics, I think makes her very, very different than lots of other college coaches out there. Were you a captain of the UCLA team? There, there, we don't do captains, gotcha. or she doesn't have captains, but I, I was a fifth year at one point. So, I mean. How would you, view, how would you describe your leadership style? Sorry, this is a little off track, but I'm curious. Oh, it's okay. Um, Hmm. It's a good question. Have you heard of the Enneagram? Yeah, yeah. Test. So I am an eight, which is the challenger. Um, and to me, that means having the utmost integrity and really working hard and trying hard. And so I had a tough time with girls on the team that didn't bring it each day. Because to me, it was a no brainer. Why would you go to practice if you're not going to give 100%? Um, and so it was, it was definitely a life lesson for me to, to understand through the Enneagram test that not everybody thinks the same way, <laughs> that not everybody is processing it as, oh, I'm just not going to give hundred percent. It's, oh, I'm tired because I was studying for a test. Oh, I'm, you know, doing this. And so learning and understanding, putting myself in other people's shoes, I think was really important for me as a leader. That's great. Yeah, I actually just took the Enneagram test. And for those of you who don't know what the Enneagram test is, uh, it's E-N-E-A-G-R-A-M, I believe. You could just Google double it. Double N. Double N, sorry. Double N, E-N-N. Um, and I think you just Google that. It'll take you like to the Enneagram organization's website. It's 12 bucks, I think, to, to take the test. But I think there's a free one too. Maybe. But... Well, maybe I got duped then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, what were you? It's, <laughs> I was an eight as well. I was an oh. eight, yeah, and then a seven and a nine. So kind of okay. interesting. But uh, it's like a personality test that um, there's some debate about it, but I, I think it's a really cool addition to like tool to your toolbox of perspective. Um, so mm-hmm. would recommend checking that out. But And uh, eights are very, in terms of leadership style, very direct. Yeah. And so when I would talk to the team and – I don't like anything to be sugar-coated, um, but some people need the sugar-coating. And yeah. so I got in some, you know, if, some, if I were to fall at practice and a girl came up to me and said, oh, it's, it's okay. To me, that was offensive because 
it, it's not okay. I mean, life's going to go on. I'll fix it next time, but it's, it's not okay that I did that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so kind of understanding how other people think and work, I think was really helpful for me and helpful for other people that I felt like I was doing everybody a favor of being really direct, but they sometimes saw it as, you know, offensive, offensive or aggressive. Um. Okay, so you have so many awesome things going on. It seems like you're truly living out the dream. What are your goals that you have now? So I want to continue growing Beam Queen Bootcamp. Um, it was an idea that I had a while back, and I really went for it. And I was like, I'm just going to see if I even enjoy doing this. Um, I didn't. I kind of wanted to step out of the gymnastics world. So it was a struggle for me to even want to pursue this in the first place because I was a little bit burnt out. Then after I did my first one, I realized it was so cool and I felt so fulfilled being able to inspire these young gymnasts. Um, And there was such a need for that confidence level and that sort of empowerment that they were hungry for. And so um, continuing to grow that and and being able to – affect more gymnasts around the world through, uh, my program is, it would be really cool. Um, and then obviously with broadcast, um, doing more sports, um, I would love to have my own sports talk show one day. Uh, that would be really freaking cool. (laughs) That's great. Well, I think, uh, we could all agree that the gymnastics world needs positive influences like you, um, in it, but always close with, um, three piece of advice you would give the audience that you've learned with your journey. Okay. So the first one I learned when I was really young for my parents and they always told me that I could do anything I set my mind to. And I appreciate them telling me that. Um, and looking back, they told me that when I was really bad at gymnastics. Um, and even though I told them I wanted to go to the Olympics, their response was you can do anything you set your mind to. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't them falsely saying, yeah, you could totally make the Olympics or no, you're actually really bad. It was just giving me the power to do whatever it is. I really truly set my mind to. Um, and so that's something that I've carried with me throughout my whole life. And, um, when things are struggling or when I feel like things are struggling in my entrepreneurial life where they're just not working out the way I want them to, I just remember that of, okay, I can do anything I set my mind to. Maybe, maybe it's not today, maybe it's not tomorrow, but have that patience. So that's number one. Um, relationships. I know I, I talked about how important relationships are to me, but um, I feel like I travel a lot, um, as do you. And I try and learn something from every single person that I meet, um, whether I agree with them or don't agree with what they're saying or they're opposite of who I am or similar to me. I feel like it's really cool with airplanes and with social media that you do have the opportunity to meet so many people in this world and taking one thing that you learn from everybody you meet um, I think is, is an asset that people don't utilize enough. Love that. Um, and number three is a little bit cheesy, but it's important to me. And it's, uh, John Wooden's, um, definition of success, which is, uh, it's a peace of mind, um, which is a direct result of knowing you did your best to become the best you are capable of becoming. And being a high level athlete, being, a gymnast or a football player or any, any sort of high level athlete, you it's, it breeds being 
type A and very much a perfectionist and expecting the best for yourself all the time and, and winning or beating people or, you know, and so it's something that I'm still working on in terms of appreciating what I have going on of, okay, maybe I don't, I don't need to be the best anymore. And I don't need to beat people in anything that I'm doing in my career. I kind of lost that competitive edge for a good, for a good way, for a good way. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, even if I, if things don't work out, okay, give myself a pat on the back for intentionally doing the best that I could for everything to work out the way I wanted it to, even though sometimes it might not, but you did everything in your power everything in your control to have a great day. It's an excellent, excellent quote from another Indiana boy. You yeah. Knew that, right. Yeah. Uh, Sam, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us today. Uh, had some really good things to say and I hope uh, people were taking notes because that was one worthwhile to take notes for, but I uh, can't wait to see what the future holds for you. Can't wait to, for this trip um, and hope to talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Andrew. See ya. Hey guys, it's Andrew, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Redirected. If you find this podcast valuable, there are a lot of ways you can support it. You can review it on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever platform you happen to listen from. You can share it with your friends on social media, blogs, or on your own podcast. Also, head over to andrewdes.com for more information and to request your favorite celebrity, entrepreneur, athlete, or anyone else who inspires you. And while you're at my site, be sure to sign up for my newsletter so you can get updates on other fun stuff going on. Also, you guys know I love connecting with you. So if you want to reach out to me directly on Instagram or Twitter, my handle is at Andrew D. East. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next time on Redirected. Oh, oh, oh.